Lay down the oars on the longship. Lift the horn to your lips and press triangle to raid. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we all played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, a game about being a Viking invading England, swinging a big unwieldy axe in a big unwieldy game. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hey. And we're back. Here we are. Hey. Hello. We're back Hello. yet again for another episode. Another episode. Of Triple Click. Hello. My daughter is currently devouring an entire slice of pizza. Nice. Oh I wish goodness. I were devouring an entire slice of pizza right now. Yeah, yeah maybe after this. I yeah. don't know. That sounds really good. Uh, so did you two know that if people become Maximum Fun members, they get access to these really cool episodes of the show that we record called Beanscast, where we spoil video games and movies did you know i this? did know that i could, I I could know a little it. bit kirk more, might not yeah. have known it you should you should explain for kirk's sake yes yes right right so kirk if you if you wanted access to these really cool episodes you could go to maximumfund.org slash join if you wanted wow. to oh, and, that sounds this, that sounds enticing month, i gotta say this month we're watching three mel brooks movies because i don't know why you can ask jason <laughs> because why we're, we're playing that. too many video games the rest of the time <laughs> And we wanted so to we're watch gonna, movies. We're going to analyze those on this this month's Beans cast, but there's a bunch of other cool ones in there. So, mm-hmm. so people should consider becoming members, joining yeah. and listening to those if they want to. Or you can just listen to this show, you know? You can. You, you can, can also do that. Do that. Um, we launched a Discord last week. That's right. And it's still up, and you can still join it. There's a link down in the show <laughs> notes. This up. is not not for members. This is for everybody. We haven't taken it down. We the haven't Discord taken it down. still there. It hasn't crashed and burned. We got it uh, verified, in fact, and we have a whole, mm. we have like a vanity URL. If you, you just go to Discord slash like triple click pod and you'll get there. There's emojis that people have made. There's like a Maddie emoji and a Kirk emoji. Wow. And there's also a, uh, there's a, there's a bunger emoji. And that's the most that's important. That's right. It goes bunger, 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 bunger when you click. <laughs> um, it's been really cool thanks to everybody who came and joined up there's a ton of people over there it's been really fun to just see people talking and uh, everyone's been really nice which is also cool and actually we were joking last time about the weather channel because there's one of the channels <laughs> is just for people to say the weather but it's actually really nice like it maybe is. maybe it's not surprising that I think that since I've always been an advocate of talking about the weather, weather on talk? podcasts but yeah, seeing people shocked. from all around the world who listen to this podcast saying oh like here I am in Germany and this is what the weather is like is actually really amazing so so uh, that's that's it been a cool. nice nice little cool. part of the Discord. I'm waiting for someone to come in from Antarctica and be like, "Hey, I'm in the research <gasps> vessel here, so and I cool. listen to Triple Click, and it is minus four thousand degrees." <laughs> if yeah, you right. listen to Triple Click and you are in the Arctic, either one, you, you gotta check out this Discord. That'd be pretty Please. dope. Yeah, yep. please come please come join our Discord. Um, last thing, something to mention up front is we have made a little ethics policy for triple click because we get a lot of free stuff and we disclose that on the show but and we decided to start having ethics <laughs> we decided we decided this would be a good time to have it we no. had ethics before we're just you know also putting them on the max fun website right so this is kind of standard practice for most publications and as it happens triple click is a media outlet like this is our publication so we thought it'd be cool to make a little ethics policy that'll just be linked in the show notes you can go check it out it's not anything very exciting but um that does now exist 
So one more thing before we get started. Um, a few days ago, we got an email from somebody in response to my PS5 controller chat about advanced haptics or whatever you want to call it. And he had some interesting things to say. So um, allow me to play a conversation that I just had with him. Uh, my name is Dan Sunshine. I'm a mechanical engineer. And I've spent probably the past two decades um, working as a mechanical engineer Um First, I was at uh, NASA building uh, devices that went to Mars, and then I was at a big fruit company. So you are literally a rocket scientist. Excellent. <laughs> Aerospace engineer, I think yes. would be the way to phrase it. Love it. Love it. Um, the, that's, that's, I, I love hearing from a rocket scientist who's like, hey, triple-click people, let me, let me tell you what's really going on here. So you emailed us uh, a few days ago saying, hey, Jason, when you were talking about all that haptics nonsense involving the PS5 controller, here's how it actually works. So do you want to kind of talk me through what you said in your email to us? Sure, sure. So what had prompted it was you had said something along the lines of the new PS5 controller has advanced haptics nonsense. <laughs> and, and I thought, it, which, is, which is totally, totally understandable because marketing certainly markets. Um, but the thing to understand is they're fundamentally different technologies in the PS4 and the PS5 uh-huh. um, controllers. And I think like a good metaphor would be comparing like a helicopter versus an airplane. You know, both of them are going to get you from point A to point B. And they're going to do it in the air, but like totally different in how they actually work. So, yeah. So why don't you talk me through the PS4 controller one and then how it kind of changed? So the PS4 controller um, uses a very, very tried and true older technology, which is called a rotational mass, rotational off-centric mass. But like the, the buzzwords don't matter. It's the same thing that was in old pagers, in the old cell phones. And to give you an idea how, how cheap it is, Pretty much every time you go to a restaurant and you get one of those little buzzers that says when your table's ready, that's using the exact same technology. Is this the same that was in the N64's Rumble Pack? Because that was really what started this whole phase. Yeah, it's all the same. So if you imagine you take a quarter and you drill a hole through the center of the quarter, and then you take that quarter and you stick it on a motor shaft. And so now when you spin the motor, the quarter spins nice and smooth. But if you were to say cut that quarter now in half from like 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and so you have half a quarter on the motor shaft, Mm -hmm. When you spin it, it's going to vibrate. It's going to make some kind of vibration. So that's like all the technology. It's very basic. But because of that, it has some really interesting limitations or challenges when you're designing an experience that the user is going to feel in their hands. So fundamentally, there's kind of three challenges, and then I'll kind of explain how they affect video game. But the most important is the speed that you spin the motor is directly proportional to how hard it shakes. And it's actually exponential. So if you spin twice as fast, you actually get four times as much load. The second one, so I'll kind of go through the three like limitations. The second one is this thing has inertia. It's like a car. Like when you accelerate a car, it takes time to get the speed. So if you spin the motor, it takes, let's say, a quarter to half a second to get up the speed. And then a quarter to half a second to get down the speed. And then finally, the, the vibration that it's creating is general vibration. It's just kind of like circular. So those are the three challenges. Now, Let's say you're designing a video game where you're carrying around a baby in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Can't imagine a game like that. <laughs> and you think, like, it would be really great if the controller buzzed, like, the heart of the baby. And so when you're nice and calm, it's going at 60 beats per minute. But when you get near bad guys or something scary, it, it, it goes faster. It goes to 180 beats per minute. This would be a cool, cool user experience. The problem is, doing that with the eccentric motor that the PS4 has... So let's say you want to vibrate it at 60 beats per minute. Baby's calm. 
There's two ways to do this. The first way would be to just spin the motor at 60 beats per minute, once per second. Now, you actually can't do that with an electric motor, but let's assume you can. Mm. When you then get to the scary situation and the baby's heartbeat goes to 180 beats per minute, you now spin three times as fast, which means you generate nine times as much load. And so all of a sudden, you'd be kind of the control 10 times, basically, the shaking, and it'd be really uncomfortable. It wouldn't be something that they could do. And so you can't, you can't design around situations where you need to change the speed. Mm-hmm. If you imagine you're, driving, you're designing a, a car game, and you kind of like want it so that when you go over the rumble strips on the left or right of the highway, it shakes. And you want it to shake at you know, some speed at 40 miles an hour, and you want it to shake twice as fast when you go at 80 miles an hour. You can't do that because when you go twice as fast, it's all of a sudden way more shaking which isn't a comfortable experience. The other problem is, as I said, it takes time to spin it up. And so if we now, instead of, let's say, in the baby situation where we're holding the controller, instead of spinning once per second, you want to just spin it up quick, you know, spin up and then spin down, spin up, spin down. It takes half a second to spin up, half a second to spin down. And so you can't create that situation. If you're trying to do a shooting game and you're doing every time you shoot, and you want kind of like boom, 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 you can't do that with the eccentric mass because it takes time to spin up and takes time to spin down. Got it. So in the world of PS5, it's using a fundamentally different technology. Yeah, so can you talk us through what, the, what, what does it mean to be advanced haptics? So instead of the washer spinning um, fast in a circle, this uses something called an LRA, a linear resonant actuator, or a voice coil. It's the same thing that drives a speaker. And basically, you're wiggling a mass back and forth in a line. And it's kind of like those old infomercials for the shake weight where you're just shaking and it's just going back and forth in a straight line. So, but this, there's one really fundamental key difference here. Unlike the PS4, where the faster you spin, the harder you shake, and it takes time to get to the maximum shake, the PS5 can instantaneously, I mean like one fiftieth of a second, but very fast, get to any speed it wants. Mm. So if we're talking about a situation where you're carrying a baby in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, you can hit it at 60 beats per minute at some load, let's say 4 out of 10, and then all of a sudden jump up to 180 beats per minute, no problem, because it's so fast to get to speed. And you can get to that faster speed at the same level of vibration. So like another good example would be in the shooting of the gun. You can quickly simulate shooting a fast gun where every single bullet that exits gives you a little jolt. But then you can, at the same time, if you hit the end of it, if you get to the end of the magazine, you can give it a slightly lower level. So if we're talking numbers, let's say you want it like a five out of 10. So you're shooting, it's like five, 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 five. And then you get to the end of the chamber, you can jump down and do two. That's so five, 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 two. And you can, you'll feel the difference of all of a sudden it's like a different tap. And then also it allows you to uh, kind of feel the vibration in different parts of the controller in a way that the old technology wouldn't? Yeah, definitely. So the old one is, again, just like a pager, an old cell phone. It just kind of generally shakes Mm -hmm. the whole controller in kind of general vibration. But with the new ones, because it's just going in a linear line, you have a lot more ability to direct how you feel the vibration. In the PS5 controller, there's two of these, one in each kind of long handle part. Um, and so you can just wiggle the left one up and down. You can just wiggle the right one up and down. You can wiggle them together and you can create all of these different shapes of vibration that you could never do in the PS4 where it's just kind of 
general vibration. The the thing that surprises me most is that it took so long to get any sort of uh, innovation in vibration <laughs> technology. Because you said you said that it, it, this really this new technology only arrived in 2015, was it? Well, the LRA linear resonant actuator has been around for a long time. It's what hard drives use to kind of go up and down the hard drive reader. Um, it's been in speakers forever. The the problem or the difficulty is it's more expensive. As I said, you know, you can literally take a, a one cent motor and attach a quarter to it, like mm-hmm. a 25 cent quarter, and create this vibration motor. And you just give it voltage. You can hook it up to a battery and it'll work. If you want to do this more advanced thing at PS5, you need a much more complicated, relatively, mechanism. Got and in it. addition, the control to actually control it is more complicated. So there is now a circuit board in the PS5 that has an additional chip or additional hardware to control it. Mm. So it's more expensive to build, more expensive to control, and it's just harder to use. Got it. So you're saying that uh, the next time we go to Cheesecake Factory, we will not be seeing uh, advanced haptic <laughs> in, the, uh, <laughs> in the waiting devices. Probably not. Probably not. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been illuminating, and I appreciate you coming on to help explain it. No problem. Cool. So, what game did we get for let's free? Let's talk cut? about a... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about a video game that we were all sent for free. So, this episode is going to be a triple play on Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the new Assassin's Creed game, like the 48th official Assassin's Creed game (laughs) in the long-running series. And it's bigger than ever. Also the best-selling launch day ever for Mm. Assassin's Creed. It is. They didn't give exact numbers, but it is sold a lot of copies. I can kind of imagine that. So we've all played this game, just uh, breakdowns up front. First of all, yes, we were all sent copies of this game by Ubisoft. Um, We've all been playing on different platforms. I have been playing on PC. Maddie has been playing on PS4 and then PS5. And Jason has played... Free upgrade. Yeah, Jason has played on Xbox Series (laughs) X and on PS5. Um, Maddie has played about 20 hours. I've played 40-some hours. And Jason has played 55 hours. (laughs) We know what Jason's been doing. Staggering. And yet it's barely even an inch of the game, I'm it's sure. It's true. It is a really know. big game. And we're going to talk about all of it. I'd say the one spoiler that we are going to mention is what happens in the Seer's Hut, which is something that happens around where you're at, Maddie, like 20 hours into the game. It's not a huge thing, but it is Can't one wait. thing that is kind of a cool thing that has to do with like who Eivor is and which kind of Eivor you're playing as and that kind of thing. So we are going to talk about that just to warn you all up front. So yeah, um... Jason, I know you really like this game. This was your one more thing last week. I almost want to ask Maddie first. Maddie, you've played you're you're playing you've played twenty hours. What do you think of Assassin's Creed Valhalla so I've played far? Played twenty hours. Um, I like it now. I will admit that mm. for the first ten hours, I didn't like it very much, which is tough. This happens a lot with video games. That yeah. the first ten hours, you're like, oh, you just got to get through the beginning of the game, and then it gets really good. In this case, you just have to leave Norway, and then the actual game starts and you get to see the title card and so on and so forth but Don't i also love feel when the like, title card comes in after 10 <laughs> I hours love yeah. i love seeing the title card for a game being like oh that's what i've been playing for the past 10 hours <laughs> thank you for telling me <laughs> thanks assassin's creed valhalla here i am uh i also keep comparing this game to horizon zero dawn and i think that that comparison is actually fair at first i thought it was because i had just beaten horizon zero dawn and i was like (laughs) it's it's really just that my brain is stuck in that world but playing this game more there are so many similarities that i'm like oh they played horizon zero dawn and they're borrowing a lot of design sensibilities from it that i don't think were in previous assassin's creed games or at least Mm. i don't i don't remember if odyssey had these things i don't think origins did but there's 
you can ride down zip lines. You can whistle to alert enemies stealth-wise, which I used to do a lot in HCD. You are using a bow and arrow. You're upgrading all of your equipment. You, uh, there are a bunch of other things that uh, they'll come to me as we talk about it. Yeah, I will say, so those things were all in Assassin's Creed before Horizon and Horizon borrowed those things from Assassin's Creed. But they're so similar. One thing is that you can slide while running, which you could not do in previous Assassin's Creed and you could do in Horizon. Well, also you play, if you're playing as a woman, you can play as a woman with like big braided hair. So that can be. Also you fight giant robot dinosaurs all the time. Right, that is probably the most that obvious part is not there. Although it is still a science fiction game that has mm-hmm. a modern day component that is sci-fi and then a past, mm-hmm. well, past slash future component in HCD's yeah, case. Yeah, I don't know. Since basically, I, I sort of see all those things as things that Horizon borrowed from Assassin's Creed, which Horizon yeah, was a right. very Ubisoft-y game. But I think playing them so close, it seems that makes sense that it would just, the two yeah. experiences would be very like combined in yeah. your mind. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't loving it because I liked Aloy so much as a protagonist and Eivor. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk about it, but oh yeah, there's not a lot to Eivor, at least so far anyway. It's more just that other people in the game I've decided I like a lot. And that's allowed me to grow on the game a bit more than, than where I started out. So this is a game about Vikings. It is. <laughs> which means that you're pillaging. So you I had sure to are. really get into the mindset of pillaging and being a selfish Viking <laughs> pillager. Very against Aloy, who has this beautiful moral quest mm-hmm. that she's on for the entire game. But Eivor, Eivor's beautiful moral quest is pillaging. She's more a and member <laughs> of the early Sundom, like the pre-Reformation yeah. Sun Kingdom <laughs> or Empire. Yeah, and I, I think that after 20 hours, I'm starting to see more of Eivor's, like her relationship with uh, her brother and that storyline with her Sigurd. Yeah, and and her their their misgivings about their adopted dad and and so on and so forth and coming into their own. And I'm like, okay, fine. I can get on board for this story. But in those first 10, 15 hours, I was like, damn, I really got to get in the mindset of invading another place, (laughs) taking over people's houses, destroying all of their shit. And it is proudly acknowledged in this game, by the way, like this is not any video game etiquette where like you're laying and you're destroying the pots and nobody acknowledges it. It's Mm -hmm. like, Part of the game is that you're destroying people's shit and taking it from them, and you are proudly announcing that you're doing all of that, and that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing because you're a Viking. And I don't know. It took me a little while to get in that mindset, but I'm in it now, and I'm loving it. I'm destroying stuff. I'm burning <laughs> people's houses. I am solving people's problems around town, much like Bayek would in Assassin's Creed Origins, but I'm mostly just burning people's stuff and taking it and being part of an invading force and living the dream. So I guess nice. I like this game now. <laughs> What do you think of it, Kirk? So let me let me go next, since Jason, I you're the farthest in, and I know you really like the game, and I want to say that I really like this game as well, and actually have warmed to it significantly since we talked on one last thing or one more mm-hmm. thing last week, um, and have and am sort of in between the two of you in terms of how long I've played, and I do think that the length of time that I've been playing the game has been directly proportionate to how much I like it. The more mm-hmm. I play it, the more I like it. The more I play it, the Same. more I like Eivor. Yeah. I felt very similar to what you're describing at the beginning. I thought the parts in Norway were a real, just kind of a drag, partly just yeah. because it was all these angry Vikings just kind of yelling at each other and fighting over like family shit. And I was kind of like, what? this just feels, it feels kind of overly familiar, just the aesthetics of it after God of War and Skyrim and so many video games. Too human, I mean, who can forget too human? 
Hoffman, the most iconic of all those games I just listed. And um, and just it didn't it was not grabbing me. I was like, I don't care. These people all seem like jerks. And then I got to England, and like I was saying last week, I was like, oh, that's just kind of, it looks so similar to The Witcher 3. It just has mm-hmm. that kind of Dark Ages England look. It's not as exciting as Egypt or or um, or Greece. And so that wasn't really grabbing me, and Eivor still hadn't grabbed me. Now I've kind of been in it long enough and been hanging out with Eivor long enough that I've grown to really like her as a character. And I'm, I should say I'm playing as the let the animus choose option, which makes yeah. it so that in this part of the story, you are female Eivor and you become male Eivor when you go to the seer's hut in like a different reality. So th- mm-hmm. it, I think that that's actually confusingly worded, but I'm glad that I'm playing with that setting on and to know that that's kind of the intended way. Yeah, of I turned it on because you recommended it and I want to see what happens when I get to the it's confusingly so. worded so I it think doesn't it is. spoil the, yeah. the alternate reality which is you. cool and I get that I've seen people like on websites and stuff describing it as making it sound like you randomly switch between them which is just not the case so anyways I, yeah I've really come around on it and I do think it's interesting the way that the game slowly moves away from the like conquering pillaging Viking thing pretty mm-hmm. quickly until you don't really need to be doing any more raiding to upgrade your town and soon you're just a, a person running a nice little town and helping your friends out. <laughs> yeah, you've already stolen everyone's stuff. You've right. already finished with that. So and that to zoom zoom out for a second. Oh, it's time to game. zoom out. All right. Oh, finally. <laughs> zoom out with Jason. Zoom, zooming out with <laughs> Jason. The, the premise of the game, the reason you're running the settlement is because, well, is because you leave Norway for England and the mm-hmm. idea is that you want to like build yourself a new home in England, but you don't just want to raid everybody the way that you were in Norway. You want to forge alliances and the entire game story is basically going from region to region, right. forming alliances with all these different people. So, And the more you do that, the more it feels like a standard Assassin's Creed game and the more Eivor has grown on me. Those stories, there's this kind of, there's a lot of different branches for this story, a lot like an Odyssey, how you kind of follow these main branches. Side quests are handled differently. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit, though oh, you talked yeah. about that some last week, Jason. But those stories are great, where you go and there's these little dramas that play out between warring kingdoms. You get a real sense of just how kind of hard scrabble this whole time period was this is set in the ninth century so it's like way post fall of the roman empire everyone is just out for themselves it's just these kind of factions of people brutally making alliances and then just changing the rules and killing one another and you're trying to form these alliances and that all feels really good it's really only in the actual raids which are marked on the map and then you pull up with your ship and you press a button to like begin a raid. <laughs> so you press triangle to raid. You press raid. triangle yeah. to raid. And actually there's a thing that'll happen or where if you ever die on a raid, I don't know if this still happens in the game or if this was just in my pre-release copy, but if you die on a raid, it loads you up just sitting there in your boat quietly. Yes. No, it does. Right yeah. in front of the place you're about to raid. You have to start over the entire raid again, by the way. If you die oh, yeah. during a raid, you go back to zero. So you better not die during a raid. But what cracks me up, what cracks me up about it is that you're all just sitting there on your boat and it's like this yep. boat full of Vikings drangers and they're like sitting there looking and the people on the beach are looking at you and you can just sit there for a while and it's like all right hey guys and then you're like you blow your horn you're like go and everyone like runs in after five minutes of silence anyways you can also decide whether or not you want to raid you can can just dock there and only sneak in well you can sneak in stealthy style and just be like i'm not i'm gonna raid you but i'm gonna do it covertly yeah are there i don't know how much of that you've done well you you can't doors you can't get indoors and treasure you can't actually open unless you're raiding so i think that mechanic the raiding mechanic is the only one that feels like you're just being forced into this especially when you're raiding a monastery which is something i watched that amc vikings show and that is like 
very brutally depicted on that show where in this show in the game you can't kill civilians but they definitely killed civilians in real life they were just like totally murdering yeah. people and taking all their it's stuff very, it's very strange because it's so incongruous with what you're doing in the story right. which is making right. alliances with these people and then even after you make an alliance with a region you can still and go and randomly raid like their monasteries <laughs> it's very strange doesn't that make you think that the it's basically the storytelling is in con is in conflict with the true history of what actually happened and they're trying to depict mm. the history which is interesting sure. and cool but or it's like it, we need someone said hey we need a raid mechanic and that had nothing to do with the story they just right. implemented just into the game it. it was probably yeah. made by a studio in bulgaria while everyone else was like it's like just different components of like the ubisoft formula that aren't quite meshing together mm-hmm. the way that they mm-hmm. uh, with they with like. actual history it's not really part of the assassin's creed formula though like the the way that raiding feels in this game it's like mm-hmm. its own entire beast and well it feels it feels kind of like the battles the spartan battles in uh, yeah uh, and there were like the fort the fort assaults in assassin's creed 4 where you're yeah, like well so there are two different types of raids just not to to mm-hmm. conflate the two one is the random like you were describing where you find an a pair of crossed axes on the map and then you go and just steal some supplies for them those are pretty quick and then there are castle assaults those are cool which are part of the story and those are very different because those give you little objectives those are actually super fun um and they're more of like they're less less civilians and randoms and random raiding and more like each one has a purpose yeah um and you're yeah, doing it for a real a real good reason so jason i want to know more of your specific thoughts you've played much more of this game since you had last week when you were already into it but how are you feeling about the game now yeah so my uh uh, love for it has diminished a little bit because for two reasons um and i still love this game i really love this game but two things that have really become a drag one is it's incredibly glitchy um i don't know if you guys have noticed it but it's one of the buggiest like big fall games I can remember playing in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened just... to you, Kirk? You're on PC and we are not. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't noticed it as more buggy than another than like an earlier Assassin's Creed game at launch, but that doesn't mean it's not buggy. It's plenty buggy. I haven't like had like falling into the world stuff or any real game breaking stuff, but it's certainly got its share of weirdness. I have. Yeah, I've had some quests just like not work and like Mm -hmm. had to restart. At one point when I was in the the fantasy realm that we'll talk about a little later, I was like trying to close a door and the game just wouldn't let me and I had Mm -hmm. to keep fighting infinite monsters. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so the the glitchiness can be a drag because sometimes you'll hit that point and I've talked about this in the past, but there's a point in a video game when it becomes, when it's a glitchy game where you start losing trust in the game and so mm-hmm. like something will happen and you don't know if it was supposed to happen that way you don't know if this guy was supposed to be hostile for this reason and it's kind of a bummer feeling because it makes you feel like your decisions you don't know if your decisions actually matter or if it's just the game glitching out on you but mm-hmm. anyway that's less significant than the real gripe I have with this game which is like many video games it is way too fucking long um, like you said before I've been playing for 50 something hours in the high high end of the spectrum and I've been playing um, I did some exploration but I've really been doing a lot of story stuff mostly like I haven't spent a ton of time just exploring the world story stuff um, and killing uh, order members like which is really cool and fun finding mm-hmm. the clues to track down the the cult members and murder them um, and this game just never ends like the story path this game is is clearly meant to like last you the next year um, or two until the next assassin 
Assassin's Creed. Well, I'm sure there will be DLC the same way that Odyssey essentially became this endless game. Yeah, there's DLC announced already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was kind of like optimistic when I saw the map because the map looks so much smaller than Odyssey's does. (laughs) Too bad there's like seven of them. (laughs) I mean, Odyssey's looked kind of small at first. It just keeps opening up. Well, but Odyssey had all the water that was like that made it seem a lot bigger than I I shared that feeling, Jason, that compared to it, you're like, oh, this looks small. And then you realize. You're like, oh, this looks. And then you you start playing and it's like, oh, my God. And you guys, you guys are probably around like 90, maybe 100 power. Maybe Kirk, you're a little further than that. No, I'm at like 160, 170. You're at 160. But you see on the map, there are some areas that are like 360 power. And you're like, Jesus Christ, this game is never going to end. And it's true. (laughs) The game never ends. Um, I've been playing so long that it just feels like like it's like makes my eyes bleed, like trying to and and I want to finish it just because I don't like like doing I know Kirk with Odyssey like you played it over an extended period of time where you kept revisiting it I don't really Mm -hmm. like doing that with these games like I always if I stop playing it I'm probably not going to come back to it so I just want to play it and finish it but like the game is very much resisting my it's big man and it really I'm really trying to embrace that way of playing and the side quest thing that you mentioned last week that we'll mention again is just that there are these, there are no longer side quests. I don't think that's totally accurate. There, it feels like there are side quests. Like there are some quests in my quest log that feel optional compared to the kingdom stories and the Odin, like Asgard yeah, story. Yeah, that's true. And, yes, you know, like, true. and like the kind of mainline stories. There's like, mm-hmm. just do quests for that but kid. But it doesn't, so the game doesn't distinguish between what's optional and what's right. a main quest. So, which is actually kind of annoying as you get later on because right. you're like, I don't know what i actually have to do to keep finishing the story and i'm guessing that it'll work like odyssey did where for me i did all the three main storylines in odyssey which were similar very similar to this there was like the atlantis supernatural storyline there was the main storyline with cassandra's family and there was the uh the order or the you know the templar storyline and you had to actually beat all of them to get an ending that really felt like it all wrapped up because the identity of the leader of the templars was like an important character in the main story and you didn't identify that person until you did all of those and like the end of the um the uh, supernatural storyline tied in with the modern day stuff in this really amazing way that like tied all of that and Layla's storyline together. So I think you had to do those, and I'm guessing this is similar where you have to finish the whole Asgard story, you have to finish the main story of the kingdoms, and you have to finish the order to get a true ending. And then the other stuff I'm seeing is optional. But there are also just out in the world these little icons, these like orbs that you go to, and each one is this charming little story. And they're all really cool, and there are so many of them. Like, yeah. There are even, there are also little glowing orbs and some of them are big and they're like marked as treasure and you want to get all of those, but also there are little ones. And sometimes it's just like, it'll be a hut with a chest that just has some crafting materials in it, but it's still Mm -hmm. handmade and like has a cool little thing you have to figure out to get inside and you could just play this game. Like a barricade and you have to shoot it through the window Yeah, like climb up in the tree and jump in through the roof or something. And like, yeah, you have to shoot through the window. That one comes up a lot. Um, And like... There's a feeling of like, cool, well, I want to just play this game that way and gradually take this all in. But it's so sprawling and ambitious and the narrative goes so many different places that I am not totally sure what that experience will be like 
just because it'll take like 110 hours and I won't finish it until like next June. <laughs> yeah. It's I, yeah, it it can be frustrating later on because the story is actually really good and you want to know what's going to happen. Um the stuff between Avor and Sigurd is really good and then part of the real charm and what really makes this game work so well in addition to the exploration which is one of my favorite things about it. But my other other favorite thing about it is that the way it's structured where like you go to these different regions and you can kind of you get like two or three unlocked at once and you can decide to do them in any given order um, each one will either introduce you to these cool new characters who will then keep recurring or each one will bring up bring in old characters and you'll get really get to know like this this cast of uh, this ensemble cast of Saxons and Britons and fellow Vikings and some of them are really fascinating. Some of them are terrible people and they're compelling in that way. And some of them are pretty cool and have some interesting storylines. And there's some really cool stuff that happens between all of them. And um, there is love and death and betrayal and all the other good stuff you would expect from a Viking saga story. Like it feels very much like structured like a TV show where each, each new region is just like a new season with its own self-contained story. And then also it might bring in some of the characters that you know and love. Um, so it's cool and I want to keep doing it but then just like each one is just like a never ending it's just like (laughs) oh my god I I, at a certain I hit a certain point where I was like okay it feels like we're at the climax of the story now and then it's like four new regions that I have to play (laughs) through and they're each called like the saga of something something and it's like here's a new saga that I have to complete um, so man, this game drags and that's just such a video game problem that I wish these game developers would, I mean, it's systemic because people, they have to charge 60 and now soon $70 and people need to feel like they're getting their value out of these massive games, but which they it's, will, it's a bummer. They will yeah, feel that way about this game. <laughs> get your, your hours worth. And I'm yeah. sure there are people out there listening to this and being like, Oh man, like that sounds awesome. Yeah, Cause yeah. I can only afford to play this game. It's fun. And I mean, that's all I want to play. It's just generally fun to play. Yeah. Yeah. For someone who who is more, who has less time than disposable income for games. It, it can be a drag. Yeah. I, Jason, have you just stopped doing the little side quests entirely? Like, I don't know how else to refer to the little mystery dots mysteries, on the map. Yeah, they're that's not, what they're, they're called. Not like, side quests, mysteries, but they're mysteries. They're yeah. Have you just stopped entirely because you're only doing main quests now? Or No, I just don't go out of my way to look for them as much as I did before yeah. in previous regions. Because there's so many, I feel like. And there are a ton. Some of them I have liked, but I've also done some where I'm like, that was kind of a dumb one. And I, I don't blame anyone <laughs> for this because they've had to write so many of these. But it's put me in a weird spot where I'm like, for ordinary for Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, I actually Googled like best side quests and then I tried mm. to play all of those because I was like, I wanna know, I wanna make sure I get get to the good stuff. But for a game like this, I don't even know how one would go about compiling that because there are so <laughs> many of these mm-hmm. little dots. And I'm sure someone will compile those lists. Perhaps even someone on on my staff of of guides writers will do right. such a thing. But it's it seems impossible like it's well so you much- can't really because they're all so short and they're short like, they're all they all take place within like a 10 yard radius i would say there's at least one i found that's a cool king lear reference i don't know if either of you have found this yet but that goes beyond just the place i found it and actually oh, kind of covers a significant amount of the map and it like has some boss fights that are Ooh. all like the whole it's like and huh. it's one of this game has a lot of that sort of english lit 
stuff hidden in it where like you'll do Beowulf, Beowulf and then close, King yeah. or I can see Sherwood Forest is on the map and I haven't gone there yet and there's just yeah. like that whole period of literature is very well represented here and um, that one is fun because it's like you have to you feel cool because you get the reference it's not super explicit but you see what's going on and you're like mm, I see what's going on here and then it does kind of sprawl out into the whole region and it winds up being these boss fights that are around the region that I'm huh. assuming lead somewhere so I would imagine there's going to be some nice compilations of those sorts of things which i don't think there probably are as many of as there are just mm-hmm. like there was a i found a guy who was like a nudist who like wanted to steal the clothes that's a from, fun one and i was like oh, this is just silly like i mean it was funny but it was a little like whatever what am i doing what am i doing yeah. Yeah. um a thing i like about this game and about this series so i've now played every single assassin's creed game to our former boss steven totilla's chagrin i have not finished rogue but i finished all of the other ones i believe i finished all the other ones and what's Even the cool first is, one you finished what? uh oh yeah oh my god yeah i played so much of the first one like when it first came out what's wow. cool is that this series has now covered so much of recorded history um, because of these most these three most recent games. And we're still catching up to the first Assassin's Creed, which was set in the 12th century during the Crusades. So that was like 300 years after the events of this game. But we're pretty close at this point. Like this feels the most like the first one in terms of setting. And then after that, we got Assassin's Creed 2 and Ezio's whole saga, which was like 15th, 16th century. Then, uh, man, I mean, they got into like the 1800s. American Revolution. The American Revolution yeah, and then well, the 19th century with, with Syndicate. Then, yeah, Syndicate is probably And the then we went all the way back to like, I think it was 49 BC is when Origins took place. And then we went even farther back and we're like in ancient Greece. And it's so interesting to me. I'm like not much of a history buff, but I do think history is fascinating. And every time I learn something about it, I'm like a shiny, a kid with a shiny toy. I'm like, wow, it's so interesting that things happened in the past. (laughs) And then I forget (laughs) it all a week later, you know, but it's been really cool to be like, I have now spent dozens and dozens of hours in all of these time periods. And when I put them together in my head like that and really arrange it, it gives me a sense of like human history that I think is actually kind of useful. And especially to see this period, because after the fall of the Roman Empire, like that's when the Dark Ages happened. And you kind of learn that in the history books. But seeing it, having played um, Origins, which is like the height of the Roman Empire and things are going great. And then now it's like the world has kind of gone to shit and you're in the mm-hmm. you're going literally through the ruins of the Roman Empire. I think that's really interesting. And I also really like how this game depicts religion. Because your religion, obviously, like you, you follow the like Norse religion, and so it's all about Thor and Odin, and those actual characters turn up in the mythological storyline, and you are Odin. So they're like very concerned with exploring that, which is interesting. But also, Christianity is kind of just another religion that a bunch mm-hmm. of people follow, it's and they're making all waves. It's out there. Yeah, and it's... they're like they're kind of like they're just these other people, and it's not this dominant force that it actually becomes even in later Assassin's Creed games. Um, Catholicism and Christianity become this like central to like the Templar power and it's you know the way the world kind of is now where like Christianity is this super dominant powerful religion. At the time it was like crusades. Right and it was just kind of like all these people with their weird god and like I don't even understand what they're doing and I think I Mm -hmm. love that it comes up so often where you and your fellow Norse men and women are kind of like what is the deal with this religion like what are they doing and I find that really cool. It's funny so there's there's a 
section later on where you actually navigate some pagan druid factions oh, versus, nice. I'm not versus Christian factions. Yeah, and there's some yeah. interesting stuff involving uh, Samhain, or a.k.a. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I've heard about that. That's cool. Yeah, I, lo- yeah, I think this cool is a cool time period just because there wasn't one dominant religion in the world. And so everybody... I mean, it's, it's cool to visit in a video game. In oh, well, real life, it was right. not... Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go live there. No, that's what I mean. When I say cool, I think that it's very interesting in a way that I wasn't no, I expecting. Know, I know, um, I was like, uh-huh. didn't think I'd find that so kind of compelling, but I do. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah, and I think, too, to one of the points that I think, Maddie, you made earlier, Eivor definitely grows on you as time yeah. goes on, but she's more of a cipher than, like, yeah. Cassandra or Bayek were. Yeah, I think that yeah. might be partially because of the performance and the accent and the character itself just not being as like dominant and forceful as as those two were but um but i also think part of it is just like the times and the context and the history and the 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 like she's just not uh, quite as as interesting like a viking lady i mean i guess that's kind of interesting but she, it's not quite as I don't like know. i feel like they could have come up with she something she could have been more <laughs> sure, like yeah. but it's not someone who's who's like entire like culture and history is based around raiding people is not going to be as like uh, there's not going to be as much room for depth as like an ancient egyptian like you know, healer slash bounty hunter slash problem mm, solver you can just give her a cool backstory honestly i they kind of try to i feel like the okay so the reason i like bayek as a character is because he's part of this huge structure and he has to worry about all the assassins shit but really he's just sad that his son died and he's just a guy like he's just a, a guy with a relatable problem that you understand avor eh, i don't feel like there's something i can point to and be like oh this is the thing that's driving her forward i mean mm-hmm. maybe maybe in 20 more hours i'll be like i finally understand yeah her. well the stuff it's her and her brother is the fundamental like conflict yeah. and question of this story well and so and to draw another parallel i i kind of agree with that and actually maddie i'm gonna say that just thinking of it now and i've been thinking about these three games that i think that bayek is the best character of the three of like cassandra bayek and that's what I said on our triple click picks yes. episode, as I recall. I remember you saying that, and I think I've come <laughs> around because I love Cassandra, but I think that Avor actually helps put Cassandra into focus for me because Cassandra and Avor are pretty similar in they that are. both aren't super psyched about being assassins at all. Both are kind of just like maniac killers when you really get down to it. Like, And what I really liked about Cassandra, I love her as a character, is just that she's this like smiling murderer who's just yeah. kind of like joyfully she's going funny around. Too. She's funny, like, she's, she's fun. She's quippy, she's, she's got a sense of humor about it And then she all. just kills people, like murders yeah. people <laughs> she is who like have families. Yeah. And like, and um, Eivor is the same like, way, but Eivor is just Malaka. A little, <laughs> and Eivor is just a little less fun. She's kind of more gritty. I and mean, that's... Kirk, you realize you're describing a character, two characters with dialogue options and one character who has a character. Like, that's a big difference here. I don't yeah. think that's entirely the difference. Uh, like, I, I think mean, it's I also think it the does, way the characters are It's 100% the though. difference. If you saw... Not 100%, like... wow. I, I would, maybe it makes up some of the difference, but it's not the entire difference. It's also the way the characters are written. If the games made, uh, if the games like made decisions for you as Avor and Cassandra, then you would have a much clearer sense of their personality, as opposed to like, hey, I'm going to kill this guy. Oh, I'm going to spare this guy. Oh, I'm going to decide to give this person his axe. Like, but it's in not- Valhalla, you make a choice like one once every like five thousand lines of dialogue. Like, it's not like you're constantly yeah. changing the way the story. No flows. way, you're making choices a lot more. But also, well, uh, the other part of this equation is that in in Odyssey and Valhalla, you can choose your gender, and Bayek is. 
a person who doesn't who has yeah, a I mean, I'm sure that that all factors but the the point is that like Bayak is for a number of reasons the performance the way he's written sure like he is mm-hmm. a more like whole feeling character than the other ones Cassandra and Ivor or an Avor are an interesting comparison because they're similar in how they're both kind of missing that heart human part and yet I yeah. like Cassandra a lot more as a character and I think that just comes down to the performance and the specific dialogue she was given I would agree with that, but I also think there's just a serious struggle in games with writing female characters and Ubisoft. I mean, we we can get into it, but like this is a known issue with that studio that we've talked about on this show before and that I have been thinking about this whole time in playing the game and just being like, really the the issue is with Ubisoft as a company. And those are some known issues that (laughs) we've all heard about in terms of writing female characters, marketing female characters, whether or not we could even have a female character who is the defined choice, the authored choice, which this game also doesn't do. And I am really excited to find out how they deal with the gender swap once I get far enough along. Like I'm doing Let the Animus Choose and I want to go on that journey with them. But I also think... It's sad that Odyssey and this game haven't made the commitment to having a fully authored female character that was designed by the team to be that. And the team wanted to with Odyssey. I know, as, I know. As we reported a couple or months Or play ago. Syndicate and like the DLC of Syndicate where Evie is the main character and you're like, you should have been the main character of the game. Your right. brother sucks. Yeah. But, but I feel like... Th- a different weird problem is happening here where because you're trying to write a character who you can imagine as either a man or a woman, you kind of end up with nothing. Mm -hmm. Like you kind of end up with a character who's not defined by their life experiences and how people treat them, which is boring inherently. And all you have for Cassandra is something like the voice actor coming, coming forward and having this great performance, which makes a difference. I think she's very good. And and Avor's voice actor, she's fine. I just don't, I don't feel like she has a lot to work with here because I don't feel like I understand who this character is because they, have to be a cipher in order for this construct to work whereas Mm -hmm. Bayek he's defined by fatherhood who he is his relationships to other people and his specific life experiences and that's what's compelling about him as a character and like why not write write a female character who's also defined by her relationships to other people how she's treated how she's is in society like just go go whole hog into it do do that story but Mm -hmm. that's not really what this is. Same thing with Aya in, in Origins, where yes. and with that idea of a version of Origins that could have existed where Aya became the main character. Which would be so cool. And in, <laughs> and I liked how Odyssey made it so that you picked one of two characters who go on to exist in the story, these brother, this brother and sister. I like yes. that idea. This game is odd. I mean, it's unusual, and I, I don't exactly hold it against it, but I totally agree with you that it makes the character feel less remarkable. It makes Ivor just feel more like, we've called her a cipher multiple times in this episode and more just like a cipher because it's like everything has to work both ways even though they could have just made it so that you play as female Ivor in the you know in Midgar in the regular world and then a male uh, Ivor who is actually Odin in Asgard which is how it works and that's the way you're supposed to do it but then the game is cagey about it because they don't want to spoil that so then you could just wind up playing as one or the other and then that's just kind of a less complex experience but also i just it's yeah it's a little weird i don't i don't i'm not totally on board with the execution i think that there's a a cadre of people at ubisoft and maybe that will now no longer be the case anymore but there was a cadre Mm -hmm. of people who said uh hey this is a viking game we have to have the male bearded warrior with two axes uh running around and slaughtering people like it can't be a can't be a girl has to be an alpha male (laughs) like a shield maiden Uh, or something that's not a real thing maybe (laughs) except uh, maybe maybe (laughs) except wait it is (laughs) 
and it, it is worth it's especially worth bringing this stuff up and the stuff over the summer in the context of this game because I know yeah. there's some people out there who like don't want to play any more Ubisoft right. games because I of can't blame the culture I mean, of sexism yeah and harassment and it's certainly worth talking about I personally think that it's worth talking about the game on its own merits and I don't think that like the thousands of people who worked on this game who also suffered from the culture of harassment um, I think and tried to make a still, good game despite that clearly right, I, I mean, think they're still proud still of their work I think a lot of people are still pro- very proud of their work I think a lot of the female developers who suffered from this culture are still very proud of their work on this game and other Ubisoft games but if you're not comfortable playing Ubisoft games I totally understand that after after what we've seen over the summer um, but yeah all that is to say that it is it is really interesting to see them trying to straddle that line and I guess I'm kind of optimistic that in the future they'll be able to make bolder creative choices yeah. now that it isn't it's no longer one person yeah. making all these calls I am too and and I mean I know that this game also had some other difficulties like the creative director being right. let go a few months before the game mm-hmm. and hell launched. COVID I mean just as a logistical challenge COVID yeah, as well and so as I'm seeing things like the glitches in the game and some of the mm-hmm. other issues with polish I, I don't know if those two things are related but I can imagine that they might be related and so I've kind of tried to take some of that with a grain of salt and be like well people had to complete this game without the person who was originally directing them because he was let go amid sexual impropriety allegations mm-hmm. so they had to figure out making the game <laughs> I think that the, with the creative director his decisions were mostly made before he was gone um, I think COVID is the main reason that this game is so glitchy. Yeah, which is also a very fair reason to have mm-hmm. these issues with the game as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I will also say there was an extremely noticeable difference, at least for me, playing it on PS4 as compared to PS5. I know this is not our next-gen console PS5 <laughs> episode, but now that I have a PS5 and I'm able to directly make that comparison, I... I don't know. I kind of get why somebody might want a PS5 because (laughs) the game plays so much better on the PS5. It plays great on PC. I know people have had some issues with it and Watch Dogs has way more issues on PC, like running well. But for me, at least on a 2080, so a pretty good GPU runs, runs well. And like it is buggy, but it's not crashy for me and it plays smooth and is like a nice technical object for the most part yeah well so so one of the cool things about this game and i think all ubisoft games now is that you can cross save that is really cool Mm -hmm. so what i did was as i mentioned last week i was playing on xbox series x uh for a while and then i switched to ps5 when i got a code for the ps5 version to test it out and first of all both both consoles run the game great it seems to on ps5 does it use the cool controller stuff uh, yeah so that's what i was about to say so i've been sticking with the ps5 version because the ps5 controller (laughs) is so much better so the rumble stuff it only uses that um from what i've seen it only really uses that for some of the skills um like there's one skill where Mm -hmm. you have to hold the trigger to charge up Mm -hmm. like your axe it's a good skill and the longer you hold it the the more damage it'll do arguably an op skill actually (laughs) and so when you hold it and this actually freaked me out at first the first time i did it because i was so used to doing it on the xbox controller Uh it like vibrates your trigger and you have to like hold the trigger while it's going drop your controller like it's a like it's a spider (laughs) yeah Ah! i was like what the hell um and uh that's pretty cool um but really i mean the ps5 controller that that's definitely going to be my default controller this generation because it just feels so much better than um anything else that i have played with the bow string is is pretty fun too and Mm -hmm. i 
it, Wish I'm I could just use it. it. Sounds pretty <laughs> cool. All right. Well, there's a lot more to talk about this game that we could get into. Maybe we'll do a beans cast next year sometime. Mm-hmm. Like once we, in if we actually finish this game. <laughs> yeah. In 2023 <laughs> when we finished it. But for now, um, I think we're going to, I think we'll call it there, but yeah, it's a good game. It's a, it's a cool too one. Too long. Games are too <laughs> long. It's very long. It's true. I'm going to be playing <laughs> very it. Very big. Very big. I'm be playing it game. forever. Um, all right. Let's take a break and we'll be back with one more thing. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. (laughs) Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! I, I can remember as, as a child thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on my show Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams. Is this the best delivery version of, of pork? That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. And we are back for one more thing. Ooh, this is a, a very off-topic one more thing. I like it. <laughs> it um, Maddie, what is your one more thing? Why don't you go first? Because I've actually seen your one more thing, and I want to talk about it, too. Sure. So I watched All of the Queen's Gambit, which is a show on Netflix starring Anya Taylor-Joy as a woman who never existed in real life, but wouldn't it be cool if she did? <laughs> sure <laughs> I, Before you guys even start talking about this, just know that I've only watched the first two episodes. Okay. So okay. please don't say anything past those. I won't. I won't tell you, but you should finish it, Jason. I think you no, will enjoy I'm, the I rest of the show. just watched them last night. We're watching them yeah. a couple every night. Yeah, so this is a show that's set in the 50s and 60s. It's over the course of this young woman's life. She's an orphan. She discovers from the janitor at her orphanage that she's extremely good at chess and takes lessons from him. She also struggles with addiction to drugs and later on alcohol. And so she's got that problem throughout her life and that intersects with how she perceives chess in a cool and also sometimes harmful way where she has to deal with learning how to play chess and relaxing and focusing without drugs and sometimes using drugs in order to relax and focus and then deciding whether or not she wants to continue with that and it's so cool it's such a freaking cool show <laughs> it is isn't I, it it's really good it is <laughs> taking me back to being a kid who was not that good at chess but at least kind of good at chess mm-hmm. and like playing my dad and those are fun memories anyway and it also takes me into memories of just playing competitive games and being the only woman in the room in various scenarios and dealing with that. And I, this show is very much about that, although it, it paints a very nice picture of what that could be like, because she is repeatedly in situations where she has to prove herself. And then, of course, she does and overcomes obstacles, which is such a, a power fantasy. But I feel like it's one I don't <laughs> get to see very often. So I really enjoyed the hell of it. That's of it. what I like about it, too. I like that it's just like, in the end, a fantasy of a made-up yeah. person. And it's a great story that just is like so well executed. I mean, beautiful-looking, beautiful-sounding, the sets, the costumes, this music, and the directing. There's some like 
really knockout sequences of like chess oh, yeah. tournaments with all this overcutting and like split screen stuff that's so yeah, cool. they keep having to come up with ways to film chess mm-hmm. tournaments and make them exciting in different ways and they each do time. <laughs> and they do yeah and I, well, there's I a lot of good it. facial acting I'll, that yes. is like it's such a mix chess. of the acting and the chess itself i've heard i've read and heard that the chess is very very accurate like there are mm. some little things they tweaked but like a friend of mine um had a, had a son who competed in like competitive chess tournaments and he's like they really really nailed the tournaments they're really like that i think maybe gary kasparov was the uh helped with this show and it, it mm. helped them get the chess right i believe that that is correct i'll i'll bing in here if i'm wrong about that <laughs> bing kirk from the future here i'm not wrong about that and we are going to link to a cool slate article uh, an interview with kasparov about his role uh helping with this show which he did help with and it's a really cool article bing but um but uh, but it uh it, so they really got the chess right which is cool because like like you, Maddie, I played chess when I was a kid, and um, but I never got great or anything. I know the like Blitzkrieg opening. What do they call it? It's like that one open where you <laughs> where you take and like get made in three moves or whatever. Like I learned that as sure. a kid, and that was all I ever learned. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. all I need to beat my friends. But they really <laughs> convey. It's so like the flow of the game, how it's just this yes. abstract like battle of lines in a constrained space, and how cool that is, and then how you mm-hmm. can just tell like when someone's made a mistake or when someone's like yes. gone the wrong direction or like or is on the defensive, they just show it in all these subtle ways that's really cool and makes the show so engaging. You're always like aware of what's going on and kind of getting drawn in. It's mm. really it's really great. Yeah. I, I also really like how they display the different kinds of tactics that can, you can use in a competitive game, which mm-hmm. also reminds me of, of fighting games and, and even StarCraft and other things, where it's yeah. like you can memorize combos or a lot of techniques, but her strength is that she plays intuitively. And so it's it's like she learns all of these different techniques, but then in the moment she'll see some pattern. And there are chess players who really do this. It's mm-hmm. That part isn't a fantasy. Like th- those are actual techniques that people can learn. And that part of it was just really cool to me to observe the similarities between different kinds of competitive games right. and also how much of it is really just psychological and your own self-confidence. And I don't know, it really, it brought me down a rabbit hole to like reading articles about female chess masters and like what their thoughts were on the show. And it, it's just been really cool. It's a cool show. I'm yeah, glad it exists. It's, it's, it's nice. just a real crowd pleaser. It's really good. Um, <laughs> I liked it too. Jason, what is your one more thing? Okay. So um, a couple of months ago, I recommended a book called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. As it turned out, just after I finished that book, he released another book. Um, and you guys <laughs> should tell me, if, tell me if this sounds familiar. It is a book set on a East India company ship in Ooh. the 17th century mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, staffed by a whole bunch of uh, sailors and top top men and uh, captains and uh, something supernatural something supernatural happens something supernatural happens and people start dying and there's a, a certain someone on board who has to figure out what the hell is going on does the whole thing look like an old Macintosh game by chance <laughs> it does as you're reading you suddenly start seeing these uh, these pixels no so um, yeah. Stuart Turton the author of this book is uh, a gamer and um, I would not be shocked shocked at all if he were inspired by Return of the Oberdin for this book. Um, but I finished it last week and it is fantastic. Highly, nice. highly recommended. Once again, it's called The Devil in the Dark Water by Stuart, and Tur- Stuart Turton. Um, he's just so good at like coming up with these high concept, like amazing premises and then creating these twisty mysteries that nice. just make you want to keep reading and reading and reading. It's very much like, like very 
like spiritual successor Agatha Christie like combined with like these awesome high concept supernatural stuff and it's just really really enjoyable book and I recommend it to everybody nice. uh, I want to cool. read it I want to read the other one you said of his too the Evelyn yes, Hardcastle book Mystery books are cool. Um, all right, well, I'll go quickly. Mine is related to books, but it is a podcast that I've been listening to. It is a podcast called Just King Things, which is... Um, uh, Stephen King Hosted podcast. by my yeah, friends. Hosted by, yeah. So um, Cameron, I know. Cameron Kunzelman, who worked at Kotaku for a time, who I just have known through... Oh, mm-hmm. Cameron, yeah. Cameron through is various, awesome. Through uh, various things. And also hosted by Michael Lutz, who uh, I don't know, but is is a cool co-host. And the He's two cool. of them are reading through all of Stephen King's books. And one... Yeah. It's like one episode a month about, and they're like five or six in. I just saw, I think it was uh, just someone tweeting about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Why haven't I listened to a podcast like this before? Because I've read a ton of Stephen King and really like Stephen King and reread his books and stuff. And um, yeah, so I've just been listening to it and it's been really cool. Uh, I I really liked the episode on Carrie, which I haven't read. Have either of you read Carrie? Mm-mm. No. So I've seen this the This is part movie. of why I haven't listened to this podcast because I, I saw yeah, it and I'm I've, like, oh, I want to listen to this, but I haven't read every single book by Stephen King. So I'll just do that really quickly and then I'll listen to the show. It would be a fun book club. <laughs> you could skip some. Like I listened to the one on Rage, which you can't even get anymore. That's a Bachman book that's about a school shooting and just sounds pretty wretched. Like they both kind of hated it and the whole episode is yeah. just them being like, you don't need to read this book, but they do talk about it. <laughs> So it's almost like you get a book report on the book and you don't have to read it, which is nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I skipped the one on Salem's Lot because I haven't read that book and now I really want to because it actually kind of yeah. sounds like it's a banger. And I'm listening to the one right now on um, Night Shift, his first short story collection, which is, I think, the first Stephen King that I actually read when I was probably like 11 or 12. And some of those books were scary. That one has trucks, the one where all the trucks come to life and start killing people. Right, which gets adapted into a movie. Into Maximum Overdrive. Yes, a terrible yeah. movie that is like nothing like the short story. A lot of his short stories when they get adapted into movies don't make sense because it also has bonkers, Lawnmower yeah. Man. Well, Lawnmower yep. Man is just about a guy who comes over with a weird lawnmower that like drives on its own and he's kind of like pan, like he's almost like a some kind of weird god figure. Like a trickster. Yeah, yeah. and then he like kills the narrator with the lawnmower <laughs> and that's the whole story where they made it into a movie movie about virtual reality and like an AI (laughs) taking over the world. I can't even really remember. Um, So anyways, that podcast is really good. I feel like a lot of our listeners might dig it. It's just like really nerdy, in-depth analysis. And it'll give you a nice appreciation for all of those little kingisms that connect his Mm -hmm. books and the sort of broader universe. So I'm really digging it. So is it like one episode per book? Yes. And it's been one episode per book. So you can listen to just the ones of books you can. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they'll refer back to things, but they always explain what they said on past episodes. So that's called Just King Things. It's just a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your cool. podcasts. Isn't that where, <laughs> where people get podcasts? And it's great. So uh, so I dig cool. it. Three, three good things. Three good things. Watch, read, and listen to. Not video games. We're going to talk about them. so many video games next week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that well, just, that's, I think that's why we all kind yeah, of just we're, like very deliberately, because next week we're yeah. going to get into every game of the Next ball. week will be a game, a game extravaganza. But until then... Uh, this has been this has been fun, and uh, and I will uh, see you both next week. See you both in Valhalla. <laughs> Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show, and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. 
Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.